this is our last day with Mr. Rogers. Is anybody sad about that, or are you just kind of glad to see Mr. Rogers drift off into the sunset somewhere? I don't know. Uh, we've had a great time with Mr. Rogers and uh, being in his neighborhood. And you know, last week, if you were here or if you listened to the podcast or you watched uh, uh, the uh, broadcast or something online, you may you may have heard us say uh, that all the urban legends, everything about Mr. Rogers that we've talked about uh, or that people have talked about, everything from being a sniper, you know, in the Marine Corps and all those kind of things. Uh, none of that is true, and even though he seems to be uh, too good to be true, everything kind of checks out, you know, what he did, how he lived his life, the discipline of his life, and all those things, except for one thing, and we found it. Uh, we found it uh, not because we went looking, but because his own life kind of revealed this. You may have heard him say just at the end of that, that's his closing theme that he put on the, uh, the neighborhood, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood at the end of every show. And he always said, you know, uh, I like you just the way you are, just as you are. You be you, that idea. And the truth is, Mr. Rogers, even though he preached this message of just being yourself, he recognized that that wasn't actually true. That being ourselves, if we're just who we are, can be problematic for us. And in fact, he has, in his own discipline, sought to get better, to be better, to be different. One of the things that he did every single day is he began his day uh, in the scriptures, and he read the Bible, uh, not in English, but he would read it in the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the Greek and the New Testament. He was a Bible scholar. He was also an ordained Presbyterian pastor, and so he spent his days learning to be more like Jesus being more like him and less like Fred Rogers. And he spent that lifetime kind of circulating through that. So we've been in this series talking about won't you be my neighbor and I, the idea of what is a neighbor, who are our neighbors, and how we love them like Christ loves them. And we said from the very beginning, from the very first message uh, in the series that love demands more. Love, uh, the Christ-like love that we're called to live in demands that we give more, we love more, we live and love, uh, love differently than we would in our own capacity. There's something about uh, the love that Christ has and the way he lived his life that demands of us more when we attempt to love like him. We also talked about the fact that our neighbor isn't always easily defined, that we need to find those people around us that need help, that need our help, that we could encourage, that we could speak into, and we need to be those kinds of people that help others the way Christ helped us. And of course, last week we looked at some of those characteristics that mark us who have taken off the old self, all the sin, all the things that were part of who we were when we became new in Christ, we put on some new things. And we talked about what those things looked like. And of course, we all obviously stopped and realized that in that passage we were looking at, that there was something to be said about loving like Jesus loves. And so today, we thought we would finish up this message series by tying all those things together and realizing this truth. Here it is right here. If I want to be a neighbor, being me is not enough. It's never going to be enough. I've got to surrender. I've got to give myself over. I've got to, to make certain that Christ in me, if I'm a follower of Jesus, is in charge of me and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing, and I'm yielding myself to Him and his will for my life. 
Now, how does that work? How does that happen? Well, there's a great passage of Scripture that I want us to look at uh, to help understand that process of what Christ does in us. We find it in the New Testament in the book of Acts. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Acts chapter 1. If you don't, we're going to put it up on the screens in just a second. We're going to look at a, perhaps if you've been in church or you've been around church, you maybe have heard this passage before. This is the moment where Jesus is kind of saying his final words. He's died on a cross. He's risen from the the dead and he's about to ascend back to heaven he's about to leave earth and as he's preparing to do that he gives some final words he gives some final thoughts to um to his disciples or his apostles and here is that final instruction to them let's begin today in verse number four of acts chapter one and just read down through this little section together here here's what happens here's what it says while he was with them speaking of the apostles he commanded them not to leave jerusalem but to wait for the father's promise now what was that he says which he said you have not heard me speak, or you have heard me speak about, rather, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. In verse number eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What a powerful passage. This is the final words that Jesus says to his apostles, and he gives them very clear instruction. They are about to be empowered to go and do. I think this is a great summary for the entire book of Acts. If you've ever read that, Acts kind of follows those gospel accounts, all the stories that Jesus uh, is a part of when he was here in his earthly ministry, the miracles he performed, and all the way through his, his death on a cross and his resurrection from the grave. All of those contain in the gospels. The Acts then begin to be, what did the apostles do? What Acts? What deeds? How did the church come about how was it formed all of those pieces to that and, and acts really has been summed up like this and i love this it says jesus goes up that's what's about to happen the spirit comes down that's what's about to happen next and then the church goes out the church goes out jesus goes up the spirit comes down the church goes out and that's a powerful look or a, a sync look in a powerful way of what takes place here in the book of Acts. And really, honestly, here we are some 2,000 plus years after these kind of things were written and talked about, and we're still doing what he said was going to happen. He went up, the Spirit came down, and we're still called to keep going out, to keep going to the world around us and he defines for them how that looks how that uh, should feel for them or the, the way it should be in their life and, and and essentially what we can do is we can say that what jesus puts in place here in this text is our mission 
our mission, what we as people who are followers of Jesus are to be about in our daily life. Now that may mean that we do that as we perform our jobs to provide for our families or as we're raising our families, as we're living our life, as we're going about our business from the grocery store to the gas station to wherever else in between you might live your life on a daily basis. Our mission is right here contained in these final words of Jesus because we, the body of Christ, the church, are still fulfilling the mission that he sent these first century these first apostles out into the world to do now why is that important because if we lose sight of our mission then we miss what we've been called to do and the world suffers because of our lack of involvement in it and listen let's be honest today We've seen the news reports uh, just flood in over and over again of all the unrest, all the, all the upheaval, all the changes that have taken place around our world continue to take place where it seems like evil continues to win. We've been horrified by some of those events this week related to life and, 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 and newborn life and when that happens. And as we watch all of these things, we wonder, what can we do? What we can do is we continue to be about our mission. We continue to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. And maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or you're watching online, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking that this whole thing about Jesus and the church is all just a bunch of religious nonsense and everything else. I get that. That's how the world wants us to see all that. But I do know this, that when Jesus transformed this guy's life, and when he transformed many of your lives, you know that there was a difference made in us that now needs to be lived out of us to make an impact on the world because he has changed our lives. And that's a good thing for us today, to be on our mission in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not just this individual mandate. It doesn't, I just don't look out and say, well, you know, these people here uh, in this section are super, super spiritual, so they should fulfill the mandate. These people in the middle, they're a little shaky. I really don't know about all them. So I'm going to say, y'all don't worry about the mandate. And these folks over here need some more training, but maybe one day. But you folks over here, you should go out and start doing this stuff right away because you've got it. No, it's not just this individual mandate. It is a mandate for us in community in the body of Christ to take on together, whether we're a new follower of Jesus or we've been following Jesus for many, many years, to continue to share with the world. Why is that? If you're sitting here today and you know that Jesus has changed your life and you know that he's changed your life for the better, don't we want to see other lives change for the better like ours has been? That's a good place for an amen. It's okay. Nobody's going to shout at you. Amen? It's a good place for that, right? And that's true, isn't it? I know the change that he makes in my life. I know the changes that he continues to make in my life every single day as he takes more and more and more and more control of me and I become more and more and more and more like him. I need more of him, not less. See, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Think about that for a second, right? It's not that we have a mission. God's mission has a church. 
His mission is to redeem the world, to bring us back, to restore what was broken in the original sin. And he says that he would send his son to do that and restore that. Now, here's where our problems are. Here's where this thing gets messed up sometimes because we think the mission is something different. It happened here in this text. So when they'd come together, verse 6, they asked him. Now, he's just said, John baptized with water. You know that. You've seen that. Some of you were baptized by John. I'm telling you, you're about to be baptized or the Holy Spirit's about to come and fill you up and take control of your life. When I leave, he's coming. He's going to set some things right. And they ask this question, Lord, is this the time? Is this the moment you're going to restore your kingdom to Israel at this time? Is this when this is going to happen, when Israel rises back up to the top as your chosen children, uh, your chosen people, and everything's going to be made right again? He said, you're missing the mission. And that's what happens if we think that we uh, have a mission uh, and, and we have this mission that we can fulfill. That's when things get off kilter. That's when things get out of balance. That's why many churches today do a lot of things, a lot of good things, a lot of noble things, but they fail to do often the one thing we're called to do. He said, God's mission has a church. It's not the other way around. And the mission is clear. And he gets to that in verse number 8 in a very clear, clear way. We operate, or we will operate, in that mission when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're being controlled by Him fulfilling the mission as the church not the other way around and it's not just that this power of the holy spirit is part of who we are as followers of jesus when we invite jesus in the holy spirit taking control of our lives it's not just so that we can think about miracles or performing miracles or the things that we saw jesus do no it's about how we begin to live and how we begin to love other people in this world like he does that the spirit takes control of when he's in control, it's better. How many of you have had these moments? How many, I, I, I'll raise my hand first, where you know that you are fully in control of some situation in your life and you get the situation or you handle the situation completely wrong. Anybody ever been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jeff's done. He's prone to do that even before the day's over with, you know? And, uh, but how many of you know what it is when you know that God is in control and you're trusting him, you're listening to him, and you've gone into a situation where he's been the one in charge and he's been one of the leading, and instead of the mouth speaking first, the ears open first, or instead of your heart becoming hardened, hardened your heart was softened, and you saw the situation in a completely different way. I've been there too, Right? I've seen it that way as well. And when we get those things right and we get them where he's in charge, our living and how we live is better and our love is more like him than when I'm in charge. So I have to think through. I have to, to, to be careful about those things because I'm seeking power not so that I can do some miraculous thing, but so I can live and love like Jesus does, like he has called us love and that starts when we as the church the community of believers that are gathered together begin to go on that mission now look and see what it is verse number seven and eight again it says he is not it is not for you to know times or periods that the father is set bef uh, by his own authority listen he says i'm not going to tell you everything that you think you want to know i'm not going to tell you when god's going to do this or when god's going to do that. And that that's his decisions that's his plan and that's not for you to worry about he says but it is this it is important that you know that as a follower of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. He says it's going to come on them because he's going to leave physically and the Spirit's going to come and he's going to fill them up. And he says when that happens, when that happens, 
Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Everything he says changes when the Spirit takes control. I love the way he phrases that out. They were living in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. A region around Jerusalem was known as Judea. And just north of there uh, was Samaria. Just uh, north of the Judean area was Samaria. And and then he says, beyond Samaria, which may have been hard for them to to view in their day, beyond those regions, he says, you're going to go, we're going to go, you're going to take the gospel to the end of the earth. If you were standing on the mountainside with Jesus when he made this statement, let me tell you where the end of the earth is. We're there for them. I mean, this is as far away as you can think for those folks. And so literally, the gospel was commanded by Jesus to start where we were and keep going farther and farther and farther out. Keep going further and further away from where you are until the gospel overtakes the world. Is it hard for you to believe today that there are still places and people in the world who don't know about Jesus, who don't know the gospel story, who don't know that he came for them? That may be hard for you to believe, but that is the truth. There are still countless numbers of people in this world who have no access to the message of Jesus. There's no church presence. There's no one who has ever come to tell them. We may look at that and say, everybody around me even knows the gospel. But do you know, I have found people, this may be shocking to you, I have found people in conversations right here in Columbia County who have never heard the gospel message of Jesus. Surrounded by churches, surrounded by us, and they have not heard the gospel message of Jesus. What do we say to that? What we say is, we understand we are on a mission, and we are to take that mission in a global community of churches to the world. And we must do that, or we're going to miss out in being a part of that mission of Christ. What is the mission? Maybe, maybe we should just kind of define that completely down for us. And I wrote this down because I wanted us to get this right. It's not on your screen, so if you want to write this down, you can. But here is the mission. Our mission is to live and love like Jesus so that others will love and live like Jesus. I want to live and love like Jesus so that my testimony, my life, my word, my love would draw others to love and live like Jesus. And I can tell you out of all the years of ministry, there is nothing more powerful, there's nothing more exciting, there's nothing more joyful in my life than being able to experience that first moment where someone falls in love with Jesus and begins that journey of living for Him. And to be a part of that and to experience that is absolutely incredible. Not many of you, perhaps, have ever had the opportunity to absolutely, for the very first time, tell somebody about Jesus. The, the, the possibilities that that happens are, are real, but, but, but they're few and far between because of the proximity that we have to each other and communication we have in our culture. But I've had the privilege several times on trips to the Amazon basin down the Amazon River to encounter people who have never heard Jesus' name before and to experience sharing Jesus with them and them coming to know Jesus. And why is that important? Because it reminds me every single time 
that what we take for granted sometimes about what we know about Jesus and what we've experienced about Jesus, when someone experiences that for the very first time, I remember and I'm reminded just how powerful and how incredible Jesus and his love really is for us. And I don't want everyone to take that for granted. I don't want to ever miss that. I don't want to ever forget just how important that is for us. So he tells us, there are a couple of things we need to understand. We need to understand our neighborhood. We need to understand those who are around us in that community of our neighborhood. And we need to make certain that we know that we are looking for opportunities to love them better, love them more, and be that neighbor to them. But then once we identify those neighbors or that neighborhood, I believe we're called to expand that out and make that bigger and go farther and do more and reach farther than we ever thought we possibly could. And we can do that in community. We can do that as we are the church that are part of God's mission of sharing his love with the world. But it takes our obedience. It takes us saying, yeah, we want to do that. It takes our time, it takes our resources, it takes, it takes our energy. All those things are true. And sometimes, not knowing anything about the world around you is easier than engaging. Because sometimes not knowing anything means you don't have to do anything. But once you know the world around you, once you know your neighbors, once you expand that out, you begin to see not only needs, but opportunities to fulfill the mission. You'll begin to pray different. You'll begin to think different. Your priorities will begin to change because you'll begin to see and know that there are other things that are far more important in life than some of the things that we stress and worry about and engage in because we see that there's a greater mission for us to be a part of, for us to take and find opportunities in. I believe this, uh, that, that we have in this generation uh, some of the greatest opportunities to make an impact in our world. To, to, to be uh, accessible uh, to people in places that were not accessible before, where, where we can get into places and have conversations that we've not been able to have before because of the technology and the, uh, the things that we have now to get us to some of those places. The question, though, is, will we take those opportunities? And I believe this. The promise that Jesus left them was that he would go back, we would go on mission, and then one day he would return. And I believe that if we understand those things and we study his words carefully, that we today are one day closer to him coming back than we were yesterday. And tomorrow when we get up, we'll be another day closer to his return. And next week, we'll be a week closer to his return. You say, when is that? I, I don't know, but I know he says he will return. And until he does, we are to be on mission. And there are people around us, people that live in proximity to this building that we're gathered in right here, that still need to know the story of Jesus, still need to know his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness, and how he provided those things to us by dying on a cross as a sinless sacrifice for us, spending three days in a borrowed tomb only to be resurrected from the dead, restoring life and hope and providing forgiveness for you and me. A world that needs to know that. A world that's filled with hate and anger and division. 
when they experience the love of Jesus, changes everything. Restores families. Restores cities. I believe it can restore nations. If we take our mission, the mission to go, be witnesses, a testimony, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It really demands this, and that is this. Let's be a neighbor to our neighbors. It seems kind of simple, I guess, if we don't understand the context. But when we put it in context and we see what he's saying here to us, Whatever world you live in, whatever community you navigate through from day to day, some of you navigate through a community that's related to uh, Little League Baseball, or some of you uh, navigate through a community that's filled with cheerleaders or gymnastics. Some of you may navigate a world that's filled with people uh, raising hogs or cows for a 4-H project. I don't know where your community is. Some of you live in a neighborhood that's clearly defined with streets and, uh, and avenues and lanes, and you, you know that there's someone behind your house and beside your house and the street over from your house, or you live in an apartment complex with people uh, on top of you and beside you and apartments around you, and you can define those. I, I don't know what community, I don't know what your neighborhood looks like, but I know this, that if you're living there in that community, if you're doing life in that community, then you are called as a follower of Jesus to live and love like Jesus in that community, in that neighborhood for the sake of those who do not know him and that by your testimony you might have the opportunity. God might afford the grace to some heart that they would see that love and your life and they would in turn love and live for Jesus as well. That's the opportunities that are before us. My opportunities aren't always your opportunities. Your opportunities may be different from day to day, different cycles in your year, different times and seasons that you're living in your life. But I know this, that every place you are, whatever community, whatever neighborhood that is, to be a neighbor to those neighbors, to live with that kind of anticipation and expectation and mission in mind, it's what's going to make a difference in our world. So it's going to change our world. Complaining, fussing, cloistering ourselves away, you know, closing the doors and closing the blinds and just refusing to look out, that's not going to change anything. But loving and living like Jesus in a world that needs to know that love and that life that he offers, that can change everything. So let's be a neighbor to our neighbors. It's not a matter of whether we choose here or there. It's a matter of where we are choosing to fulfill the mission there. Being that person, that light that shines into that. I always love hearing these stories about people that are engaged in areas where maybe uh, not everybody is, is a follower of Jesus or maybe there's tension or there's strife or there's difference of opinion and, and there's just problems in that of how someone who is a person of faith uh, very lovingly, very gently finds themselves in the center of that or in the midst of that and how their influence can, over time, over time, change that entire complex of what is 
or what's been broken. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe that's been your experience. I don't know. But I do know this. I do know this. If we're called to be neighbors, then let's do that. Let's be neighbors to our neighbors. The most neighborly thing we can ever do, we share this from the very beginning, is this. We can share the gospel of Jesus with those who are around us. They need to hear it. They need to know it. That is an opportunity you have every single day in thousands of different places. So why not take that opportunity this week? We purposely set this series at the beginning of our year because we didn't want it just to be uh, a clever thing, spend some time with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in a nice, quiet place, you know, on a side street where everybody gets along and everybody's a neighbor. Uh, We wanted to set this up to really challenge ourselves that uh, your world may not look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but you're still called to be a neighbor in that world. And we really wanted it to be a catalyst this year that would kind of drive you beyond January. Can you believe we're already at the end of January? I mean, we're, we're just a few days out from another month already in 2019. And, and you've got an opportunity to take these ideas, these, 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 these challenges from this series, and see them fleshed out the rest of this year. See them lived out in your life and in your family's lives this year. Making a difference, having an influence, making an impact, a change in people's lives. So we wanted to set this kind of as a capstone to begin the year to say, let's start here. Let's go from here. Let's set this up as the challenge for our lives this year. To look into the world around us and seeing it through the eyes of Jesus, say to the world, be my neighbor. And let me show you what a neighbor looks like by sharing the love of Jesus. So we've got this mission, love or live and love like Jesus so others will love and live like him. And we want to be a neighbor to our neighbors. So let's pick that challenge up. Let's think about those who are around us today who need to hear the gospel, who need to know that Jesus still rescues people from their sin and still gives eternal life and heaven as a reward. And yeah, he's coming back soon. So let's get busy and do it while there's still time. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Close your eyes.